Uh, This morning's scripture reading before the lesson will be from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 14. Again, that's Hebrews 12, 4 through 14. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It is great to see you here, and what better place to be than worshiping God. If you're visiting with us, know that you are our honored guest. So when we become a Christian, things automatically go well for us, don't they? We never have any trouble. It's just a wonderful life. Well, we know it's not quite that simple. We know that we see and we experience problems as we go through life. It's just part of life. If we didn't have problems, it wouldn't be any fun. It's hard to convince you of that sometimes, but I think there's a lot of truth in that. But sometimes, being the humans that we are, we wonder why this happens. If a person is trying to be good, why doesn't God protect him from the evil and the bad things? Well, before we get into that, let's back up a little bit. We've got to clarify a few things. First, what do we mean by good? We're a good person. Well, technically, only God is good. That's what we're told in the scriptures, aren't we? In Luke chapter 18 and verse 19. So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. Note here that even Jesus didn't consider himself to be good. So how do we call ourselves good? We probably have to rephrase that a little, don't we? Maybe we're pretty good. In God, there is not even a shadow of darkness. We know in 1 John 1, 5, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So now that we've defined the difference between good and pretty good, let's look at the contrast. In contrast to God, we are an 
unable, we know we are unable to live without sinning at times. That's because we're humans. In 1 John 1, 8, we read, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And of course, in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're humans. When we ask, why me? We are implying that we have no responsibility in the problems we sometimes face. Sometimes we hear people say things like, why did I get a speeding ticket? Well, maybe it was because you were going a little bit fast. You were breaking the law. There's usually a reason for most things, not always. But people tend to ignore or make light of their own responsibilities. But there are times when bad things happen which are totally out of our control. Still, we shouldn't say that these things should not happen because we are too good to experience them. One of the things we know that the Bible teaches us that sin has consequences, whether we're referring to our own sin or the sin of another. In Jeremiah, we not in Jeremiah, but Jeremiah lamented about his father's sins and he had to bear the consequences. In Lamentations 5, 7, our fathers have sinned and are no more, but we bear their iniquities. This is not to say that they were being punished for the sins of their fathers. In Jeremiah 31, 28 through 30, we have to be careful if our parents are doing something wrong, that we don't continue doing that. And it shall come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck up, to break down, to throw down, to destroy, and to afflict, so I still watch over them to build and to plant, says the Lord. In those days they shall say no more. The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man who eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. So God is saying they are suffering for continuing the sins of their fathers. So we can't use that as an excuse. People also often think they are different. Matthew 23 29 through 36. Matthew 23, 29 through 36. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn, adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of of those who murdered the prophets. You can't use that as an excuse. Fill up, then, the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in, <clears throat> in your synagogues. <clears throat> and 
persecute from city to city, that on you may come, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth. So, secondly, what do we mean by suffer? We've defined what we mean by good. God is good. We can approach that, but we don't get too close. We're human. When bad things happen to us, we often think we're being punished. Bad times are not pleasant. But, and I think you have to agree with me, sometimes unpleasant things can have benefits. Think about that a little bit. The scripture we read before the lesson that Patrick read for us outlines a lot of that. Think about this. When someone trains for something, let's say they're training for a marathon. Do we have any marathon runners here? Some of you guys, I'll bet, have. No? Okay. Well, you need to do that. You're young. Do it when you're young. Yeah. <laughs> when you get old, it's not easy. But when you train for a marathon, is it, or let's say for something shorter, is it fun to get out and run many miles every day? Not if you're normal, it's not. In the rain, in the heat, or even when you're tired. But you do it. And why do you do it? Because winning a race is a good thing. You want to win. But it requires discipline. Your muscles have to be trained. But the results, you know, are, are pretty wonderful when you get into good shape. We are in a, a race for salvation. And to reach the finish line, we must exercise discipline. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 tells us this. And discipline is not only self-induced, it is also imposed on us sometimes to improve us. For instance... And this is a good example of how you would explain why bad things happen to good people to perhaps non-believers. An example, we make our children do chores. Now, we do that because we want to get out of work, right? That's why we're doing that. Of course not. We love to work. We love to do chores. Now, often we could get it done faster ourselves. Isn't that true in some cases? Better, maybe. And maybe with less grief. But we tell our children they must do their chores. They must do their homework. Even when they don't want to. Because it will benefit them. And we know that. We had parents too, didn't we? Proverbs 29:15, The rod and rebuke give wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Now we're not necessarily saying you should beat your kid. 
You shouldn't do that. But they need to be disciplined when it is called for. And there's a pretty much a movement in the world today to avoid that, and we see how it's turning out. Not so good. If it's done out of love for our children, even though the children don't understand it until years later, and when they have children of their own, they certainly understand it. Proverbs 13, 24, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him properly or promptly. So God is our father, and he disciplines us sometimes by the rough times in our life. It builds up our spiritual muscles. James 1, 3 through 4, knowing that the testing of your father of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It doesn't last forever. You can take it. And you're not the only one facing it. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10, be sober, vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you, have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And we won't be disappointed with the outcome, as we're told in Romans 5, 3 through 5. Now, we have begun to address the real issue here. Why does it happen? Well, trials are proof of our faith. God didn't build mindless robots. We have the ability to choose. But if we love God, we will choose the correct way. 1 Peter 6, 9 tells us, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you did not see him, you have to have faith, Yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So how do we know, how do we know that our, or how do we know our faith until it is measured against trials? We're not going to know we have faith, are we? Until it's measured. An example Peter, he thought he would never deny, deny Jesus, but we know he did. In Luke 22, 31 through 33, 
And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But of course, Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Of course, we know the story that very night, Peter did what he thought he would never do. And we read about this in Luke chapter 22, verses 60 through 62. He denied Christ. But notice also that Peter compares our trials to the refining of silver or gold. Zechariah referred to the early persecution of the church as a time of refining. In Zechariah 13, 7 through 9, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And he ends that passage with, This is my people, and each one will say, The Lord is my God. So afflictions are a period of testing. Isaiah 48, 9 through 10. For my name's sake, I will defer my anger, and for my praise, I will restrain it from you, so that I do not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you. So the trials we face, the purpose is to refine us very much like gold. At first, we will not be able to handle great tests. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. But as we become pure, the trials must increase if we are going to be effective, if they are going to be effective in refining us. That makes sense, doesn't it? Consider Abraham. The first trial we read about is God asking him to leave home and travel to a land which God would show him later. That would be hard for us to do today, wouldn't it? Just pack up and go. But he did. He's then told he would have a child, but then he's made to wait 25 years. We'd probably have a little doubt there, wouldn't we? He's then told to sacrifice that child. Now that would take a lot of faith. Each trial was harder than the first, than the last, but Abraham came through a little stronger each time. And we read about this in Romans 4, 17 through 22, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed 
God gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. And I'll let you read the rest of those verses. Notice that it doesn't say Abraham overcame because he had great faith. It says he grew strong in faith. It takes time. So when we become Christian, we don't start out perfect. We're going to have problems. He grew strong in faith. It came by a series of trials, and his faith was refined by God in the fires of adversity. So we should not think that being tested is some strange, unusual thing. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13 says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. Christ suffered, didn't he? Why should we be better than he is? That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. So, to wrap things up, unfortunately, sufferings, bad times, trials are all not going to disappear when we become Christians. Some will be due to our own flaws, the consequence of sins. Some will be there to discipline us, to keep us on the straight and narrow. And we know we have to, have to do that. We have to work towards that. And some are there just simply to refine us, to make us better Christians. The scary part about all of this is that as we are refined, we are able to handle more responsibilities. And guess what? Therefore, we are more accountable. And bigger and better things come along. An example of this, we have men who are willing and feel they are qualified to be elders. That's a lot of responsibility they're taking on. But with life, we become capable of things like that. And thank God there are men who are willing to do that. The trials to refine us will become greater as God seeks to perfect us. We know we're humans, it will never happen, but as long as we're progressing in that direction, everything will be okay. So we also know that God never gives us something we can't handle, but it means we can expect harder trials as life progresses. So, I ask you this question. If you haven't become a Christian, then you haven't even started on this road to refinement. That's the first step. This would be the perfect opportunity for those of you who haven't put on baptism. You're where you're loved. Or perhaps you are a Christian and you have gone astray. 
and you need the prayers of the church. But whatever your need, this is the perfect time, and we ask that you come as we stand and sing the invitation song.